Welcome to The Mixtape with Scott, a podcast that dives into an oral history of economics, exploring topics from the last 50 years. From the students of Gary Becker to contemporary issues like economists and tech, I cover subjects that I personally find fascinating. But this is also a platform to uncover the personal stories of real economists as they walk us through their lives and their work. I'm your host, Scott Cunningham. This week, I had the immense pleasure of interviewing one of my favorite economists and econometricians working today, Alberto Abadi, professor of economics at MIT. Alberto is a prominent econometrician who has written several major works in econometrics, including the synthetic control method, hailed as one of the most important innovations of causal inference in the last two decades. He'll be hosting a workshop on mixtape sessions April 27th and 28th from 6 to 9 p.m. on synthetic control and clustering. For anyone interested, just shoot me an email and I can give you some details about it. Thank you for tuning in again, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, check out my Substack, Scott's Substack, where I semi-regularly post what I call explainers about econometrics. Well, it's a pleasure to have uh, on the show one of my favorite people I've uh, followed for a long, long time and learned a lot from, Dr. Alberto Abadie. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Can you, for the sake of the listener, uh, could you tell us your name, your job title, and and who pays your bills? Uh, My name is Alberto Badi, and I I work at the MITA in faculty here. And uh, yes, that's the way I pay my bill. (laughs) Do you make MIT pay it? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So before we get started, uh, what's something that you love doing outside of your academic work? And why do you think you like it? Oh, I like to do all kinds of things with my kids and my family more generally, my wife and my kids. Um, we, in the, in the winter, we go skiing and, uh, and we enjoy it very much because, um, you know, it's a way to be active in, in New England that otherwise you're going to be in the winter, like, uh, uh, you know, at home. And so we are outside all the time. We go hiking, uh, we visit places, we, we travel with the kids and uh, that's that, that I enjoy very much. Oh yeah. So where did you say you go? Where do you go skiing? We go to New Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire. Okay. Every, every Saturday, the kids are in a racing program there. And uh, so it's a credible commitment to every Saturday, wake up very early in the morning and, uh, and go there and, oh. uh, you know, have a good time outside. I don't know if you remember, that's funny you say that. I don't know if you remember one time we were at NBR and we were sitting by each other and you told me that you had a uh, bumper sticker on your car that said, it's my job to embarrass my children. Yes, but it was not my bumper sticker. My, a neighbor of mine has that bumper oh, sticker. A neighbor of yours had it. Okay. That's the story, yeah. That's the story. <laughs> okay. It's a, full-time job to, it's a full-time job to embarrass my kids. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's part of the perks. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you... Uh, and and I, do it, I, I do that quite effectively. I can, <laughs> and, you know, if my daughter will tell you that. <laughs> That's right. They don't realize they're like, uh, you get paid. There's lots of ways we get paid to be uh, parents that they don't, they don't know about. That's one of them. Um, okay. So can you tell me about growing up in Spain and the Basque region? What was it like? And what were some of your best memories? Um, you know, I have, like, I guess, I don't know, uh, pretty, pretty regular childhood. The only thing that was, um, um, you know, unusual about that is that they, at the time I was a, a kid, it was the Spanish transition. So there was a lot of conflicts and demonstrations. And, uh, and so on, like even like uh, in the area where we were living. 
but that was part of life. It was not uh, something like very unusual to me because I have lived with that. <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, after that, you know, like things became became much, much quieter. But, uh, you know, like I have a group of friends, like uh, we have a lot of fun. We have fun in school. And um, yes, with like a pretty regular childhood, I think. Yeah. Wait, so did you say that the, you had as a child experienced some of the violence? Is that what you said? We experienced like a, not a, a you know, like a, a real violence against us, but it was very, very close to us. Ah, uh, uh, I mean, that's... you could see it from the window in your, your place. Like there was like a, you know, like a, a demonstrations in the streets and a, and some conflict and, and so on. Who got caught up in that? Did your, did your, was that, was there a lot of collateral damage of that? of those protests to, to some people, but you know, like, uh, uh, you know, at some point, as I said uh, before, like things become uh, much quieter, like, uh, and, um, you know, like, uh, after the Spanish transition, like, uh, um, you know, there was still a terrorist conflict in the Basque country, as you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, but uh, then, uh, you know, like, um, uh, luckily, uh, for everybody like that also finished, like, uh, that's, that is also done. And now things are, things are much, much nicer. I see. Okay. So um, how do you think your childhood and your early life experiences influenced your, your, any of your later interests? And you mean in terms of research? Mm, maybe. Uh, okay. That's a, like a very, uh, you know, like a open question. Let me think about it. Uh, so something that I did a lot as a, as a, as a kid, it was a, I was a very avid reader. Like, uh, and there were like a lot of books uh, at my place, in my place, and and uh, and uh, you know, like uh, I only have to reach for one of those books and I start reading. And uh, this is something that I did a lot. Mm. And uh, and I, you know, like I, I, you know, as any like a avid reader, you go through like several phases, and like uh, and uh, you know, like you start like uh, you know, I started like reading like a. Uh, uh, mainly literature for kids, but uh, pretty soon I ran out of the those like uh, those books, mm -hmm. and uh, you know there were like other books in the house, and I started uh, reading other things, and uh, and much of them like um, uh, you know like they have like a relatively large like relatively like a um, you know like a good social content, like uh, there were like mm -hmm. a many you know like a books about you know like in uh, you know Spanish and Latin American literature. And, uh, you know, that kind of a uh, perhaps in the, you know, like uh, the make the future me like uh, care quite a lot about, uh, mm. you know, um, social science and societal uh, issues. Yeah. And, uh, and um, so this is, I don't know, like uh, thinking right now, like very fast, this is like perhaps one, one link that I can make. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, kind of, so what, like, was it like science fiction kind of thinking about the society or something like that? Well, science fi science fiction was one. Like, uh, so for example, like uh, I read a lot of uh, books and um, magic realism. I think yeah. you're as, you're you're like English major, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So Ga you, Gabriel so you know Garcia Marquez. Uh, yeah, Garcia Marquez, Cortázar, and uh, and and so on. And again, there there was a lot of uh, like uh, societal issues there, like uh, like in the narrative. But yeah. you are right that science fiction also play a role. Like, uh, remember reading like. Uh, Foundation by Asimov, like 1984, like um, a Brave New World. And there is a little bit of, a, you know, like a 
historical determinism there, right? Yeah. And it, but that also makes you think like if the if the society is like a big machine, like we can we can do something with big machine and like make things right. better. Right. And uh, so I, you know, like it, that also play a role, I think, like science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about high school? What was it like there? High school, I mean, high school was a, like a really happy uh, phase in, in my life. Really, like I, I have a lot of friends there that I, I, you know, I still see from time to time and um, and um, or some of them at least. And um, and I was not super interested in academics. I have to say, I, I, you know, I was doing other things. I was like a, you know, I was drawing comics at the time. Like as I said, like a, like a reading a lot. Uh, we have a group of people who did like photography and film, and mm. uh, you know, I was more interested in artistic uh, projects than in oh, that's interesting. Than did in say, academia. Did you say drawing comics? Yes. Oh wow. Huh. Uh, we did that. We have a little bit of a, a you know, like a fan scene, like a, you know, like a, a, a magazine that we make, like a, with a photocopier. Really? And, uh, like and sell in the streets. Yes. Oh wow! Wow. So you were a good artist. I was an okay artist, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, good enough to uh, uh, to keep up with my friends who were probably more talented than me. Wow, that's neat. What kind of stuff were you drawing? Was it superheroes? No, uh, it was not a, it was not only that perhaps at the very beginning, but I, you know, I don't think I remember we were like very much influenced by a kind of a French um, comics like uh, Moebius and Bilal, although Bilal, I'm not sure if he's French or Belgian, or yeah. Belgian. I don't remember, but uh, you yeah. know, like a, uh, this type of, uh, this type of comics, we were very influenced in my, my high school, many people, and we were, we were doing that. So were you were you naturally good at mathematics though in high school? I think I was good because so something that I you know like I remember doing like I I, I don't really spend in you know like quite a lot of time like a, uh, you know like studying on on you know working hard in the, in my uh, you know homework or something like that but uh, you know I was able to do it you know, with a minimal effort in a quite effective way. Mm. So like, uh, uh, I, 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 I never fail a course or anything like that, but I was not also like, a, I was not trying to get the best possible grade. My, my, uh, my objective function, so like is, you know, pass this course with a okay or good uh, grades, but you know, at the minimum effort, so I can do other things. Mm. Uh, that was a, that was the, the way. So it was, was. kind of like, it was kind of on the side it wasn't really like what you were mainly interested in. Not at the time, at the very end of my high school, yes, but not a not the first years of high school. Oh, so towards the uh, end. Yeah, I remember I have a um, biology teacher like uh, Gloria, who like I I gave us a test and I passed the test, and she came back to me and I and she told me you passed the test, but I'm going to fail you, and I say well, like what what's going on? Like what what is this about? And say like hey, I know that you can. Do much better and you are just not putting enough effort so unless unless you ace this test i'm going to keep failing you and i thought at the time that was like terribly unfair yeah but then like kind of a you know i learned something from it huh. and i still remember that that's a very attentive teacher that yeah, knows, knows what your potential is wow <laughs> so where do you end up going to college I went to college uh, like a, a literally five minutes away from where I uh, used to live. I went to the University of Wisconsin, 
-hmm. in in Spain, I, I guess, like as in most of Europe, you go directly to a department, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and so like um, the Department of Economics was there, and I was I was I, I was there in the Department of Economics as an undergrad. How do you find economics? So there is a story about that, in fact, that I, I, I tell from time to time because, uh, uh, you know, it's a slightly funny. In fact, I, my first project was to do physics. So I mm -hmm. decided I was interested in how the world uh, works and, and, uh, and I decided that, you know, I wanted to study physics. So I went to my father and uh, I told him that, uh, you know, this is my plan. I'm going to study physics. And he told me, like, uh, no way, you're not doing this because the only... The only thing you can do when you study physics is become a college professor. Right. So I study economics and I became a college professor. College professor. <laughs> that's, that's the way it works. You'll, you'll, you'll do a comp, you'll compromise. You'll not do physics, but you'll still be a college professor. I guess so. I guess so. I guess that, that is what happened. <laughs> Wait, so he liked, he, your dad liked economics. Well, in fact, my 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 father was a tailor. He didn't have a lot of a, a you know like a academic education, mm -hmm. and I, but he thought that uh, at the time he thought in his gut he, his gut feeling is that uh, physics was something probably very interesting, but uh, probably something that was not very practical. Right. Okay. And he wanted me to study something very practical mm. and uh, applicable. So he didn't know so much about economics, but my. Um, my older one of my older brothers like work in a financial institution so he went to him and asked him like uh, what do you think about alberto Stein economics and uh, my brother gave me gave me his blessings <laughs> and so i was i was able to do that that's great so do you what was your first experience with economics where you really liked it no i really like economics it's not that i didn't like it i i, I think uh, you know at uh, i was kind of in between you know, like physics and economics, uh, you know, like from the beginning, I, I kind of decided for physics, but then I went for it to economics. But I, I kind of, as I said before, I was uh, like interested in how, you know, the society works. Yeah. If this, if this is true that it's a big machine in some way. I want to know how this machine works. So you kind of, to, uh, you saw that, you saw that potential of economics pretty quickly as being like a big theory of the machine of society. Yes, but it was, it was not an informed opinion i mean like uh, uh, we study history and uh, you know within history we study a little bit of economics in high school mm. but to me e economics was a big mystery about what what economics is about yeah. uh you know like uh, as you know like physics chemistry like mathematics i knew i knew that that you know like uh, i have been exposed to much less to much less to economics right but you know i was interested yeah 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 was there one professor there that had a big impression on you there were two professors uh, at the, the in my undergrad that has uh, like a big influence on, on me. One um, uh, was a uh, Federico Grafe, who was a theorist, who uh, put me in this uh, seminar in which uh, we will discuss papers, and um, and um, it was mainly theory papers. Mm. And um, but uh, he also told me like uh, after two years, like at that time, like uh, economics was five years. Mm. And after two years, you will go into like an speciality mm. uh, for year three, four, and five. And there was this one that was called like a mathematical economics and quantitative methods. Mm. And uh, it, it didn't have like a lot of openings, like uh, around 20 or something like that. And uh, my class, we were 22. 
and I think it was the 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 largest number mm. uh, because there were like 22 terminals in the computer room. But anyway, oh. he told me like hey, that's you know that's that's the way like hey, you should go and and um, and um, you know I think that is the you know the type of specialization that would be best for you. So we try I tried that and I really really love it. Like and there there was there was another professor Fernando Tuzel who was a statistician. Mm. Uh, who you know like uh, basically we were studying for his course like 90 percent of the time mm. and you know at the very end like we were like uh, you know the day or two before the some for the other uh, you know subjects we will study that uh you know but it was a great experience he was super passionate about uh, statistics and data analysis and and how to use that to to solve problems yeah and uh, you know like uh, we we really like uh, we were like a you know small class like uh, good friends and and really enjoying uh, the material that they, uh, well, we what about dr gardezbal what about dr gardezbal did you have him as an undergrad no in fact i i you know this is a little bit uh, embarrassing but i i'm not sure probably he was uh, doing his phd in uh, in upen at the time oh. or perhaps at the very end he was there but we didn't interact when i was uh, when I was in college, oh. uh, I started interacting with interacting with him after I finished my PhD here in oh. the US. Okay, I want all right. I'll, I'll save that for later. Okay, great. So, did you could you start to feel in college this pull towards econometrics because you said statistics? Were you already noticing uh, that you wanted to do that? Yes, I mean, there was a lot of econometrics in that uh, in uh, you know in the courses that uh, that I but you asked me about a, a particular professor who impacted me and uh, and he considers himself an, an statistician although he does a lot of econometrics oh okay and, but we did we study we study a lot of econometrics of course and did, did you could um, you feel that you were interested in this a lot did, oh yeah very much you noticed very it much, yeah, well, yeah well so you were interested in the big pictures of of how society is run and i could imagine you then saying i'm going to become a a macro economist how how does that how is that bit that interest in uh those large pictures of society start to connect you to econometrics so like i thought i i have this um i guess connection with it you know like uh, going a little bit uh, uh beyond models but also with the help of models but you know apply like a you know like a uh, you know look at the data and uh, you know apply data analysis and see how we can you know like improve um uh, things like uh, I was interested in education, I was interested in labor, mm -hmm. and uh, you know these uh, these are areas where you know like uh, uh, you know that they they are very much in touch with econometrics, right? Right. Uh, right. Or at least the certain the certain type of econometrics that I was uh, I was learning there, mm. and uh, you know that's what uh, that was uh, where where my interest was at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Sure. So you graduate. Do you go immediately mm -hmm. to MIT? No, what do you I do go next? to the I go to the military first. Oh, you go to the military Be because the um, at the time like uh, military service is compulsory in Spain for males, uh -huh. and and um, and I go there. I go to the military, oh, and yeah. after the military, I go to uh, to Zenfi in Madrid, uh, um, and I and I uh, you know I studied there for two years. Oh, okay. So two two years total or three. Well, uh, the military was one year. One year. Uh, I was in the in the navy for one year, and then like two years in in Madrid. 
Oh, okay. Okay. So are you still thinking along this time at the very beginning? Are you thinking school I'm done with school? Or are you thinking, you know, I kind of might be interested in doing more? No, in fact, like uh, the reason why I went directly to the military at the time that when I finished, uh, when I finished uh, college, because I wanted to go, uh, you know, abroad to, uh, to study a PhD. Oh, you like did. otherwise I could, uh, you know, I could have deferred or something like that, but, uh, you know, I wanted to be done with that and, and, you know, like, and, and be able to, you know, be free to go and study a PhD. Mm. Although, you know, like at the, you know, by the end of my military service, I kind of uh, became, I guess, a little bit disorganized and I was uh, also not totally sure uh, by the time if I wanted to do a PhD, I have to, to think about academia a little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, Tenfi was like a great institution in like in Madrid. And, uh, you know, I have heard very good things uh, about about that. So I applied there mm. and I got admitted and I went there for a couple of years. No, wait, what's the name of it again? I want to catch if I understood that. It's, it's called Tenfi. It's the Centro de Estudios Monetarios y Financieros. It's, a, it's an, um, you know, like um educational it- institution that is, a, it depends, um, um, you know, a little bit of what's created by the Bank of Spain. Is it the and, one that uh, says C3? No, that's Carlos III. That's a university. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to be at this, C3 in a, this, in a couple of months. This one doesn't have undergrads. This is where, uh, you know, like Manuel Alano and oh. Enrique Santana are and, and so on. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, great. So um, so then you graduate. Are you still taking a lot of econometrics and your master? It's a master's program? It's a master's program. Yeah. So what do you what do you gain? Well, it's a master program. Is is what you will translate it as a master program. The time like this, such a thing as master in in economics does not exist in Spain. But you know, mm-hmm. it's called diploma there. But uh, you will understand it here as a master program. I see. Okay. Okay. So what does that do for you? How how do you change during that period of time? Well, I think I became, I became like a, a or. A, well, I became, I stayed centered kind of in the same type of uh, goals. I still wanted to do like econometrics and yeah. and uh, also like uh, very much like uh, I was interested in uh, in labor. My mm-hmm. my my master thesis there was like a combination of both. I I learned from uh, you know like uh, amazing faculty there like. Uh, uh, and something that I, uh, I understand there is that, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, I learned there what it takes to do excellent research in in in, in economics and the amount of commitment mm. uh, that you have to that you have to put on the table. Right. Uh, they, they were like great role, role models for me. Right, 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 right. So out of curiosity, what year would this have been? Early 90s? early 19s like early I, I like i yeah like a, something like a 93 or something like that something like that yes was angus and Imben's local average treatment effect paper sort of making the rounds around the world where you would have seen it a little bit i i it was not so um you know well known i remember like a, at some point in one of the our econometrics courses like we have like a little bit of material related to that uh and I remember at some point, I think it was uh, when when I was there in the master program, like uh, Hido Invens uh, went there and presented what paper, oh. uh, what we know, we, what we know now as the fish paper, uh-huh. uh, oh, yeah. on, uh, you know, the like a full market paper, uh-huh. like he presented it there. 
and uh, um, but it was not a, it was not as well known at least as is now. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, were you familiar with the potential outcomes model before you know when while you were at the at your getting your diploma? Was that something they spoke about? Vaguely familiar. I mean, like, like we have uh, like a one or two lectures like uh, uh, about that, like uh, by Manuel Alano. Okay. But uh, but uh, most of the outcrying econometrics was not related to that. Was not like that. What do you think? I'm just curious, you know, because you're learning so much in, in graduate school in econometrics. You just, pro I always just kind of felt like it was just never ending. Did you have a, did you have any kind of reaction to when you started seeing this kind of causal framework expressed that way? Or was it just not so much? I think that the my probably my first like a um you know significant exposure to this was like a my the second year of my PhD uh a, you know like a program here at MIT. Uh then I was writing a second year paper with a uh, with a you know like supervised by Josh Angrish. And like as part of that, he kind of, uh, you know, asked me to read several papers, uh, you know, and that uh, were written in terms of potential outcomes and in particular uh, the paper about the uh, local average driven effects. And that was kind of like a, a big revelation for me because I have been, I was used to models with constant coefficients and like a much less heterogeneity that uh, and that these papers allowed, and uh, you know, like I, you know, I thought there was like a lot of potential in that, and and something that a, uh, you know, a, a line of uh, thinking that attracted me kind of uh, immediately. You felt like you could imagine yourself doing being really creative with that kind of notation that you know maybe not doing something else, or it was just you just saw when you say you saw a lot of potential. Yeah. So. Uh, in fact, like when I started, like a, um, as I said, I was uh, writing a second year paper in uh, in econometrics, and my supervisor was yours. And I started writing something about I can barely remember. Like it was like a tensor regression model with instrumental variables, something like that. Mm -hmm. And and I went to yours, and I said, like, uh, you know, like, would you like to be my supervisor to the uh, for this and i'm not sure he was thrilled about the topic but he decided that uh, he will do it and then but that make us like a uh, speak a lot about uh, like a uh, you know put us put us in contact and we were like talking a lot about different topics mm -hmm. and at some point i mentioned to him that um you know like uh, in my master thesis in spain in fact it was like uh, i was working on a uh on a you know instrumental variable models for quantile regression. And he tells me, well, you know, like I'm, I'm doing the same. I am like uh, working on a paper that is like instrumental variable models uh, for quantile regression. And and then like uh, we decided to do join forces on this project. And this like, uh, and then like uh, we kind of transform it, uh, we transform, uh, it transformed it into a kind of potential outcome types of uh, setting. Mm -hmm. What? Well, so I'm curious in the minds of an econometrician, um, when you sort of decide to move something into that potential outcomes notation, you know, is there a conversation that you sort of have in your head or with your co-author and you say, well, this is a good opportunity for do it to, for, to use the potential outcomes, because if we do the potential outcomes, then it'll really be better. What, what exactly happens that where a person would say, yeah, let's go that direction as opposed to not doing it. Cause you don't always have to do it. Right. No, like a, uh... 
you don't always have to do it. It's a, it depends in, in many cases. I mean, there is not the only way to do things, but it's a way that is quite natural, especially if you want to allow for a large amounts of a heterogeneity potentially. Right. And something that, uh, you know, like uh, I learned that I could do in this uh, framework uh, quite easily that I couldn't do in the other framework was the following. Like in the in the quantum regression paper, as I said, like I have a paper looking at, uh, you know, quantum regression with instrumental variables. And I have like some parameters that we were estimating at the end. But, uh, you know, in fact, I have no not a very clear idea of how to interpret this parameter. This yeah. something that uh, Victor Cherronhus got my colleague like uh, solved like some years after that. Yeah. I found that he solved some years after that. And in the potential outcomes framework, it was very, very clear how, how to interpret this parameter, right? As, mm. um, you know, like uh, in terms of parameter of, uh, you know, quantum regressions for compliers. Right. And that's something that, uh, you know, like uh, also kind of grabbed uh, my attention immediately. Right. And, uh, and uh, so like, I, I, you know, in that, in that case, it, there was kind of a, you know, immediate way in which you know this framework would uh, would help you thinking about that particular problem yeah 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 um so that's a good place to transition so so when speaking about your cap awaiting uh project was was that in graduate school when you started working on that this all this work on that's that that is in graduate school, yes. Is that your job market paper? It's not your job market paper. That right? is my that is my job market paper. Oh that is your job market paper. Oh yeah. Well, can you tell me about the origin of that that project? For the sake of the listener, can you tell us what the sort of the elevator pitch is about that paper? Well, the origin, in fact, is in the uh, was in the quantile regression paper that I was talking about. Uh, like uh, uh, Hido and Josh have been working on that for a while, and they were like, in fact, like relatively close to that uh, to to that uh, result. Uh, and uh, we were thinking about and, and when we joined uh, when we when I joined we were thinking about you know how to like estimate this um, you know quantum regression for compliers and in which way you know what type of a uh, you know problem this quantum regression for compliers will solve in the population and uh, and you know like and that's where you know like uh, Kappa came in and uh, I, but you know like after we solved this problem like I was thinking about that and and I thought like look uh, you know, this is something that they can be used for many other things. Like, in fact, like every, you know, like every, um, you, you know, like a expectation that you could estimate for, you know, the entire population, you can estimate it for compliers using this, uh, this, uh, these kappas. And, uh, and uh, that kind of, uh, you know, like uh, motivated my job market paper. Mm -hmm. So uh, what was the response? What was the response people had early on? It, it seems like it's becoming... Getting, I, I don't know the full history of it, but it, it feels like at least it's becoming uh, more common that I'm seeing it a lot, you know, enough that I'm having to study it. Uh, you know, wh what was the original reaction to it? I think no, I think that the original reaction was positive. I, uh, you know, it was this, uh, this, um, you know, issue that was like, uh, you know, we have um, this uh, uh, local average determinant effect type of, uh, of result that you, we can estimate uh, this, uh, you know, average determinant effect for compliers, but this group of compliers by itself is not a, is not identified. And how, you know, special this result is and then what the, the Kappa result tells you that basically this is like, you cannot identify who is a compliant and who is not individually, but this is a group of the population for which everything is identified. You can run regressions for them. You can run like a, 
I don't know, maximum likelihood for 10, you can run quantum regression for 10, and, and, and you know, that was kind of a, I think uh, in my mind at least was a neat, uh, neat result. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I think that lately, like people has been using like more and more also to, um, you know, describe, uh, uh, you know, like this population of compliers, because as, as I yeah. said before, you don't know who is a compliant and who is not, but you can say, what is the distribution of earnings for compliers? And that's, you can estimate. Yeah. And, and uh, so like, um, uh, it's a useful tool in my mind to, you know, like, uh, if you're interested in, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like a, uh, estimating a local average streaming effect, you can also like uh, describe for you know what type of population you're estimating this. Parameters. Yeah, seems really it seems really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought, um, I wouldn't have thought that I've all, I guess I always thought the compliers were not not fictional, but you know they were just sort of it was just it bordered on metaphorical. I mean I I didn't know how to you know what I I, I never just thought you could find them you know but like. Uh, the idea that you could recover some of their characteristics was uh uh is just so interesting um uh so so you get your job market paper and yeah. um then you go to harvard harvard kennedy school to the harvard kennedy school yes. right so what happens next do you end up working on synthetic control when do you start working on synthetic control well i didn't start working on on synthetic controls immediately, like that was not a type of a, uh, you know, like a methodological idea that I have in mind. But um, you know, as I as we 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 have uh, covered before, I was uh, I am from the Basque Country in Spain, and uh, at the time there was a terrorist conflict there, and I was a uh, you know very uh, like a like I mean intensely intensively interested in 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 that in and and. Um, and uh, you know, I was also like uh, wondering, you know, what was the economic effect of uh, this terrorist conflict, you know, on the economy in the Basque country. Yeah. And I I started thinking about writing a paper about that. And uh, but uh, you know, I you know, like I have not started yet. Uh, but uh, you know, like at some point, I went uh, back to Spain to give a course in in the University of Basque country, and then. There is when I met uh, Javier Garzabal, and we started talking about this, and he had like similar interest, and uh, you know we decided to join forces and uh, and and write this paper. Mm -hmm. And at the point, at, at that point, you know, like we wanted to think about, okay, so this is the how the Basque country, the the economy in the Basque country evolved with terrorism. Uh, we need the counterfactual, but there is no there is no other region in Spain that really looks like the Basque country. And uh, then we think, uh, okay, perhaps you can like uh, mix a match, and and uh, so that, that that was kind kind of the origin. And I still remember the time that I was in my office at the Kennedy School, and and you know what is probably figure one or figure two of that paper, you know, yeah. show up in my computer after um, uh, you know, like um, the computation. Yeah. And I see, I think we have a paper there. Yeah. Like okay, this looks this looks like we have paper, and uh, so that uh, so the 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 origin of this problem was like purely empirical. I mean, well, that right. was purely empirical paper, but uh, we didn't have a good way to do it, so we have to figure out something. Right. And um. So and then of course it was applied many other things. How come? How come? What, what made you say we don't want to do a difference in differences off of this one treated unit, uh, using the rest of the the country? I'm sure that conversation came up, but. 
but you, one of you said that's not the appropriate way to do it. Well, can you walk me through that conversation? Well, there are like several things here. First is that there is no other, you know, like a unit that is looks very similar to those country, any other region in Spain that it looks very similar to those country. The other thing is that we were, we are using like a aggregate data, like a GDP per capita, the regional level, and we have only one treated unit. Right. So like a, it is very difficult to run a regression and, uh, you know, with that type of, um, yeah. that type of information. Right. And uh, so like we, we needed to, to, to create something, uh, something new for that. Is when you, when you're faced with a challenge like that, and you're like, the, the challenge is going to be, we're gonna have to make something new. Is that, is that when you get sort of excited? Uh, I think I get more excited when I have the solution. When, you have the when solution. the solution comes and it's something that you think that, you know, like it is something that um, is going to work. Yeah. That's, that's a good day. Yeah. In your life. So doing this, doing it the way you did it, you know, when you said, all right, here's what we're going to do. The objective function is going to be, you know, minimize these characteristics between the two groups. And, but we're going to set the weights to be non-negative sum to one. What, what, yeah. walk me through why'd you, why, cause I guess you could have done it other ways. You know, you could have, you could have, mm. you know, there's probably a lot of ways to, I mean, there's a guy at Google that has his, his, his version of it. That's very different. And so what was it about all those pieces that minimizing and uh, that the way you had those endogenous choices being donor pool weights? What, and, and them having those properties. I think this was, um, you know, I cannot recreate uh, um, with a lot of precision, like uh, what happened in uh, in my mind at the time, but uh, I think it was a uh, very much, um, um, you know, influenced by the literature on like a uh, difference in difference and comparative case studies, things like uh, the Mary Boat Leaves or, you know, like New Year's in Pennsylvania of Karen Kruger. And there you have this kind of a similar structure, right? Like you have a treated unit, you're trying to find a unit that is untreated but have similar characteristics. So here is the, you know, minimized, uh, uh, you know, the, the discrepancy between the characteristics of the two units. Yeah. And also like you think about this, like if, if you think about a, something that the Maria both live and, you know, like a car is looking at a, what happens in Miami relative to four other, four, four other cities in the south of the United States. Mm -hmm. But this is at, at the end, like a, he, he doesn't talk explicitly about this, but implicitly some type of weighted combination. Right. These four other cities in the United yeah. States. And, and these two pieces you can make them explicit in your analysis and use data uh, to choose like a, uh, you know, like uh, to tell you about, uh, you know, how you are minimizing the, the discrepancy between these two type of units and what type of weights uh, you are using, like uh, um, you are using for your, uh, for your, for, uh, you know, like estimating your, the contrafactual of interest. Yeah. And, uh, so like you can do that in a data driven way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, I, um, when I, when I teach the synth paper, I've been more increasingly really teaching a lot of the unconfoundedness stuff. I, I was sort of sk not skimming it, but I wasn't because of him having to rewrite the book. I I've like moved some things around and it's forced me to like build it from the bottom up. And, you know, the, um, the, your, your paper with Dr. Embens, the um, 96 and the 2011, I know I've told you how much I like these papers, the distance minimization. 
uh, matching papers, the nearest neighbor, mm-hmm. they, they feel kind of similar. You know, it's like, um, you, I mean, I know it's like one to one or one to M matching, but it's like the objective function looks similar. It's like, you know, minimizing this, uh, aggregate discrepancy, which is the sum of a bunch of squared, um, different gaps. And, uh, and then, you know, it's not exactly weighted, but then I was thinking this morning, uh, I was like, well, you know, each unit is get each unit that gets assigned is getting a weight of one and then everybody else getting away to zero. So it's not like you can't kind of tilt your head and sort of see it. And I guess I was just kind of curious, you know, like, is that, is that a coincidence? Are you sort of thinking and is there something in your head at the time where you sort of are kind of seeing things as having similarities and solving them in not the same way, but just sort of seeing connections that, you know, because Matt, because you, because I mean, I, even your semi-parametric diff and diff, I, it, I, I kind of want to return to all of it. They, they all sort of feel like an Abity family of projects in a way. Uh, that's possible. I mean, it's it's clearly there is a connection there, and you're you're totally right. And and uh, you know, like in fact, in the paper with a hit about the matching, because um, you know, we are matching with replacement. Like different units have like a different weights. Like you may have a unit that you use a lot mm-hmm. as a as a comparison, and some other units are not used at all. Mm-hmm. So like different units they may have the different weights there. And in some, you know, in some way, I guess at every time that you're trying to reproduce a counterfactual under something like a selection of observables, you're doing this type of a weighting business in 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 one way or another like it's right. a, like a, it's a change of measure right uh, the difference I, I guess there are two differences uh, like uh, with, uh, in terms um, of this literature and synthetic controls um one of the differences is that um you know synthetic controls tries to take in to take advantage of a lot of co-movement that we observe in the data we observe like some units really you know dance always like at the same tune, right? Like they kind of commute very much, uh, commute very much. And, yeah. and, you know, synthetic controls is trying to, is trying to take advantage of that uh, for, for estimation of treatment effects. The other thing that comes to mind is like a synthetic controls tend to be, although they don't have to be, but uh, nowadays like people have made many, many versions of synthetic controls, but at least, at least or, originally they tend to be about, you know, big aggregate interventions, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and that's a part also that they kind of excited me a lot because we, we have a lot of methods that they, you know, work for kind of micro, micro, micro interventions, right? Like, in, like the matching type of method that you were talking about is like, we have like two, you know, say treated and non-treated and we are going to use like a, this large number of treated units uh, to try to see what will have happened to the non-treated and the treatment, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, like uh, that is great and we, we know very well how to do that but then uh, at the same time many of the interventions that we care about they are they are not like that they are macro interventions they happen at the level of a you know like a state or a you know like a, a big school district or even a country right and then then we have much uh, you know we have much uh, you know like uh, not much machinery to to deal with that yeah. type of uh, settings uh, which uh, you know I, in my mind they are they are quite interesting yeah 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 well, what about these debates? You know, I, I feel like, you know, th- this is something that I feel like only people that have read your 2010 a thousand times 
like me start to kind of hear you these real subtle things like you know you sort of almost make almost kind of philosophical argument at least that's how i take it about the superiority of um avoiding extrapolation the superiority of the non-negative weights that sum to one and that's kind of how i've always read it is that you know that you sort of are making a little bit of a normative statement which is that it would be worse if we were extrapolating and a lot of methods will extrapolate and synthetic control will force everything to be on the convex hull if it exists but the newest papers you know that's the one thing where like there's a whole branch of them that's like they all kind of are like well how can we relax that and i just was wondering you know now that you now that it's 2023 and it's you know been 20 it's like a 20 year anniversary now for the first paper but what's your overall reaction to this like that one little feature of synth which is you know is it or is it not in your opinion normatively appropriate to allow the weights to be negative and if so how negative and if not how come uh that's a great question but i i think i wouldn't i wouldn't say i i i, uh, I wouldn't say that it's like a normative um uh, 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 you know, like it's a, a rule that they, you should always avoid extrapolation because sometimes there is no way to avoid extrapolation. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, however, that uh, there are people like uh, and some of these people in like these people include me in some cases, in which they have some type, they have some aversion uh, to extrapolation. They, they, you know, they we get uh, like a special nervous where we're trying to like you know like a, you know, operate in parts of the. Uh, uh, you know, parts of the space of the variables where we don't have data, right? Okay, and uh, and um, you know, like a, a problem with many of the um, estimators that we have in in econometrics is that we may be doing this type of extrapolations, and that they may rely a lot on you know functional form that we don't know much about and another you know specification choices, and you know, I am happy. You know, if people decide to do extrapolation, but the problem is that many times is um, it's not transparent how much extra right. uh, extrapolation we're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you know, like if if we are if we are in that business and and we are happy with you know like extrapolating, uh, you know, again to places where you may not have data, and uh, and you know what a you know what is the amount of extrapolation that you are doing like yeah. uh, i'm totally happy i'm totally right. happy with that i think right. that uh, like different people have different goals and different uh um you know like uh, different preferences so I, I wouldn't say that we don't we cannot do extrapolation i think that we you know even in some of my papers like uh, you know like we have proposed methods that they you know like uh, take a take advantage of a extrapolation devices but yeah. uh, i think that it's always good to you know, to have a way to check how much of that we are doing, because it's by by nature is kind of a dangerous exercise. Right, right, yeah. And it's not, and it's not that the interpolation biases do not exist. You also may have bias by interpolation, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, like, and that also you should try to uh, figure out. Mm -hmm. yeah, right, right. Yeah, I've seen you have a new paper on that too. Um, so, uh, how did you first get introduced to Dr. Embens? What was it like working with him and learning from him? What's that relationship like? I think that the first time that I saw him, like if I remember correctly, is in this um in this um uh, seminar that I mentioned before that he gave at Tenfi mm -hmm. on the fish paper, and and uh, later I I 
you know, like Manuel Alano and me and him, like we have a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I was a master uh, student and I did, you know, I didn't say much. Yeah. And and um, and then when, uh, you know, like uh, again, in like uh, my second year in my PhD, when I started working with uh, with uh, Josh on this paper on quantum regression, he had been working with Hido, the paper. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, uh, you know, by transitivity, like we became co-authors. Right. Uh, but at the time, I didn't see much of Hido. He was not uh, he was not around uh, like uh, very much. Uh, we we ended up like uh, having this paper together, but uh, you know, like we mainly like um, you know interacted by by email, I guess. Yeah. And and uh, but then like uh, after I have graduated, like he came to MIT or to Harvard to give uh, to give a talk, and I I met with him, and he was starting like a, um like a writing the, the the book that he has with Don Rubin, and we were talking about a. Uh, you know the different, uh, the different, um, you know, like uh, topics that he was going to cover in the book, and we started to, uh, talking about matching and how to, you know, how it was going to show up in the book, and and we did agree that there was not much theory about that, mm. so we decided that perhaps that was a good uh, project to, uh, to 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 think about and and to you know try to to fill that gap. Well, they uh, were doing propensity score matching. So what, what was that? What was that was missing? This non-parametric matching? Well, propensity score matching. In fact, like uh, either propensity score matching or matching on the covariate, there, there was no th no theory about oh, what no was theory. the sampling di distribution of that. Oh yeah 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 right right. So like what we have we have a series of papers in which uh, we look at that in uh, you know what was the you know the large sample distribution of these matching estimators and also what at the end. You know what was the large sample distribution of uh, estimators that are like uh, do matching on the estimated propensity score? Yeah, yeah. Somebody told me there was it was a real your paper was a real paradigm shift because of the repeated, the the matching with replacement part that 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 was novel. Is that right? I'm not so totally sure that this is this is novel. I think that there um um. You know, it is easier to think about the variance uh, of an yeah. estimator, of matching estimator, when matching is a without replacement. Right. Uh, but the problem with that is that the, uh, the the thing that worries you when you do matching uh, um, is not the variance, it's the bias. Yeah. Uh, because the bias, uh, you know, doesn't go down like uh, as fast the, the, the variance as. And if you want the bias to go down mm -hmm. like uh, or to have a low, you know, low, probably lower bias, you want to match a with replacement and not match with a replacement. Right. You want to have always the best unit available for matching, right? Right. And that's why that's why we adopted a, like a like a matching with replacement in that paper. Uh, I cannot tell you. I don't know honestly uh, the history of matching with replacement versus matching with a replacement. But but I doubt that it was new. I think probably people have done it before. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things in your your JASA paper that always kind of struck me, and this because you know this is always because I'm always like an uh, an, e an eavesdropper in econometrics. I'm just kind of like reading and trying to learn from people, but not an econometrician. One of the things in your 2010 JASA is you're sort of kind of building the motivation for why the synthetic control model is valuable. And one of the things you say is, um. You say, what? Well, well, you said something like, you know, the regression standard errors are based on sampling variance or sampling uncertainty. And that's not really the problem in this context because the 
we have aggregate data and uh, the uncertainty has to do with the counterfactual. And so then you motivate this randomization inference. Hmm. And it's, it seems like, first of all, I had never heard that. That's just an aside. Cause that, that was like, that's not really about synthetic control. That suddenly is about everything, hmm. but especially as more and more admin data become available. But then the second point was, um, you know, Echoes of that are in this these two new papers with Athe and Embens and Wooldridge, right? The the yep. the clustering. So I was just kind of curious, you know, is that true? Is that right that there's sort of a line that kind of is coming, or is it was it like this was sort of emerging, generally speaking? I, mean, I, I guess can, you could say it like all goes back to Fisher, but I was just thinking like there this seems like really novel and more recent. Yeah, I think that the you know design-based inference has been there like a, uh, for a while, and uh, um, but uh, we have we have seen people using it in novel ways and in ways that uh, you know we didn't know before, mm. and we have seen people realizing that uh, you know depending on exactly what parameter you you're trying to estimate, what type of data you have, and you know like uh, you may want to like go with something like a design-based inference instead of sampling inference. In fact, in many cases, like uh, in many in many cases in which you are you you are running a synthetic control project, like uh, there may not be a very well defined sampling process. And if there is a sampling process, you don't know what it is. Or you may, you know, like observe all the units in the in the population. Right. And even if there is a sampling process, I may usually like because you say because we have aggregate data. Uh, you know, like the the sampling uncertainty may be like a really small relative to other uncertainties that you have in mind about you know the quality of the the control group and so on. Yeah. So basing like a like a, our you know like a standard error, so to speak, or our, or our measure of uncertainty on that, uh, you may, may be a little bit misleading. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did this project come about? How'd the four of y'all get together? You're like the the Beatles now of like uh, of econometricians. It's like the superstar team together. I will I will take the Beatles. Like I love the Beatles. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, so. Like I think that uh, on the one hand, like uh, Hido and I were, um, you know, like uh, thinking of these type of issues, and uh, like uh, Hido and uh, you know, like and uh, and Jeff and Susan, like uh, we're also like. Um, Hido have been teaching like courses with Jeff and, uh, you know, like they oh, right. have been also talking about this type of stuff and uh, like, and, and Susan was talking with Hido about this type of stuff. So like we always just got together and, and starting like working on this. Mm -hmm. uh, we are like in different places. So like it took a lot of, uh, you know, email and more recently Zoom, but, uh, uh, you know, like it worked well. So is it is it the kind of thing where you know with like heteroskedasticity robust everybody's just like comma robust is that is that the future where we're just going to go comma Beatles robust and it's just going to be the the four of y'all or no is it a lot more care has to be involved I think there is a lot of more care involved I think that the uh, something that the we say or or you know like a I don't, I'm not sure now to which extent we are explicit that, but you know, I think that it very much depends on the nature of the sampling process, the nature of the uh, assignment mechanism, 
exactly what is the parameter of interest, whether you have like a descriptive parameter of interest, a causal parameter of interest, you're interested in the sample, you're interested in the population. And in all these cases, kind of the standard errors uh, like a change. Uh -huh. Okay, so that's the that's in quotes the bad news, which in my mind is not so bad, bad news that you have to be careful about you know like what you are interested about because different right. parameters can be measured with different precision. Yeah, the good news is that typically you can obtain standard errors that are much smaller than than you know like if you go through the work of a you know like specifying all that what is the sampling mechanism what is the sampling mechanism what is exactly the parameter that I'm trying to estimate mm -hmm. uh, like a uh, you may 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 get uh, like a much more precise, uh, you know, like a measure of a you know uncertainty that you have before and mm. before typically was conservative. So there is something to gain. There is something to gain with that. Does it have a kind of randomization inference under the hood, or is it something totally different? Well, you know, like if in a, in a, when you're trying to estimate. So the, let me go back a little bit. If you if we are talking about the paper on clustering. Yeah. So the paper on clustering is uh, saying like if um, if if you come to my office and uh, and you ask me like uh, should I cluster my standard errors and at what level you should cluster I uh, should I cluster my standard errors and you're thinking in uh, you know like a modeling a superpopulation in which I may have like a random socks that are you know like a, at the state level or something like that and that's why I want to cluster. You know as an econometrician I don't have much to say. That's going to be kind of a that's going to be driven by you know, how do you decide to model this uh, like uh, aggregate shocks, right? Right. And if they, you have the aggregate shocks at the level of the state, it's like you will have to cluster the level of states. But mm -hmm. you have like uh, the aggregate shocks at some other level, like, uh, I don't know, occupation, age, and, and so on, like, uh, and like uh, then, then you have, we will have to do it in some other way. But the problem for me is that, uh, you know, all these correlations, like uh, between like uh, outcomes, you know, I, I probably I can think that there are correlations in many, many different directions and many different dimensions. So what we say in this paper is that if, uh, but if, if you come to my office and say like, I want to estimate the effect of the treatment in, not in this uh, data genetic process, but in the population at hand, then like you, you know, like it only going to def depend on what is the parameter of interest, the sampling mechanism and the same mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, that's, that's the three things, that's the three things that you, that you uh, have to the, um, you know, like a specify in order to get kind of the, the right formula. But I th I'm not sure if I am uh, answering your question because now, like, could you repeat what the, what the question was? About? Well, I Perhaps just I, was, I well, went because, on a tangent. Because I was thinking about the synthetic control uh, paper where you talk about this, you sort of allude, you don't call it design based uncertainty, but you sort of say that, you know, the standard errors in a regression are based on sampling uncertainty and and so then, you know, you, you, you have that conversation and then you lead into randomization inference to get an exact key value. And so I was just kind of wondering, you know, is that, is that sort of a part of the solution, you know, of using that kind of permutation inference or is it, you know, and if it's not, you know, I was just wondering, well, why, why, why was it then? And it's sort of not now. Well, what it is, I mean, like, uh, uh, I think, like, you, you said something about there is a randomization inference, uh, uh, you know, under the hood. Right. And there is something like that, because when you're trying to estimate, uh, you know, like, uh, treatment effects, like, uh, you will need some type of, um, 
uh, knowledge about the same mechanism yeah. in order to estimate the streaming effect. Right. But uh, what the paper on clustering says is that, the, you know, like this knowledge of the, like this, what you need is this knowledge of a same mechanism is also going to be crucial to, uh, to know how you have to do your inference, right? Mm -hmm. So like it goes, like uh, it has like two, these two, um, you know, implications. And um, and uh, so like what we are using is like uh, there could be random there could be randomization like uh, perhaps not like a uh, you know like a explicit randomization but you will have to have like some type of um, some type of restriction on the same mechanism to estimate the treatment effects and once you have this restriction you can use it for you can use it for inference. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, let me let me wrap this up and I just want to end with with one thing. Is, is there anything else as we kind of conclude? And I just want to say it's always wonderful to to get to talk to you. Um, is there anything you'd like to share about the sort of the journey that you've been on as an economist and econometrician, your work or the future of the field that you just think would be, you know, uh, that, that you would like to share? Well, I can, perhaps I can tell you something that I, you know, I tell my, I, I tell my students, uh, especially the ones who are starting and uh, thinking about a, you know, like a, how to write the, the dissertation is like, a, we are, we are incredibly lucky people. Like mm -hmm. we, we, we kind of have the freedom to work in whatever we want to work. Mm -hmm. And we are like surrounded by like a interested, interesting people yeah. and, a, a, you know, like a inspirational people. And, um, and the thing that I would like to say about, about, a, you know, my experience as economist and uh, as an economist and uh, this profession is that is is a blessing. It's it's great. It's great to do what we do every day. Uh, you know, I come here to my office like I have wonderful colleagues, wonderful students, and uh, you know, like in, and the way to approach this is like um, uh, keep always excitement and mm -hmm. and and uh, enthusiasm for doing like a, don't make it a you know nine to five. A job. I don't have anything about against nine to five jobs, but you know, like make it something that you really care about because you're probably going to spend a lot of hours working on this more than nine to five. Right. And and you can do it like uh, enjoying it better for you. I mean, that's that I can tell you that I enjoy this every day. That's great. Well, and I, I enjoy talking to you too. I well. enjoy talking to you too. I always and I love reading your papers too. Um, well, same here. Uh, you're going to be doing a a workshop uh, on mixtape sessions in a, I guess in a couple of weeks, it'll be what late April it's in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You're going to okay. do it on. I will have to look at my calendar. Gotta, that's right. I'll, I'll double check it, but you're going to do it on synthetic control and clustering. That's right. That's yeah. what we talk about, right? Yep. That's what we talked about. Good. All right. I'll, I'll tell people at the front about it, but it's definitely, I will say that when I heard you present um, at Northwestern, about 10 years ago, I thought it was the, it was definitely the best speaker of the seminar at the conference. And I just, it was one of the clear, clearest uh, lectures. It was just exciting. So I think anybody listening should come, but okay. Well, Dr. Abadie is, I mean, Alberto, it's so nice to see you as always. So nice to see you, Scott. Okay. I'll talk to you later. You gotta see us soon.